back in 2012, my brother was getting married over in America, so I had to take a flight over. Uh, I had taken many flights. I, I went to seminary in Rome, so I often flew over and back from Rome to Ireland, so I, w- I was used to flying. Uh, but I was in the airport, and uh, dressed as a priest, collar on, and, all, and one of the air hosts, hostesses, hosts, male hosts, uh, walked through the departure lounge, and he said, excuse me, sir, can I, can I see your ticket? Uh, he said, I presume you're travelling alone. I said, yeah, I'm travelling alone. One of the, one of the perks of uh, celibacy. Uh, so he said, can I see your ticket? I said, oh, show me the ticket. He said, uh, 36B. He said, hold on, I think we can do better than that. So he goes over to the counter, and he comes back, and he gives me my ticket, and it said 3D. And I said, okay, 3D, great. I was used to travelling Ryanair, where it doesn't matter if you're 33A or 1A, it makes no difference at all. You're in steerage regardless, you know. It just doesn't make a difference. So I said, oh, thanks very much. That's, that's grand, yeah. So then we were on the jetway boarding the plane. And I got to the, to the plane, and I looked down uh, to my right, and I saw all of these people in business and economy struggling with the luggage force over their head and kids flying all over the place and sit down and shut up and don't, I want to watch a movie, and I want, where do the drinks come, and I'm tired, I want to sleep, I don't like confined spaces, and all the screaming and everything to my right. I looked to my left, right, and there were two ladies with ostrich feathers fanning the entrance into first class. I've got a first-class ticket. I've never, flown, I've never flown first-class in my life before. So I said, sir, can I take your jacket? Uh, yeah. Can I take your luggage? Um, sure. Uh, sir, here, here's your seat. Th- th- thank you. Thank you very much. Would you like a drink? Uh, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> and they, oh, I, I'd never, I'd never, it was, it, was, it was quite an amazing experience. Anyway, um, so there I was enjoying the flight, and this lady sat in. Uh, I was going to say beside me, but no one sits beside you in first class because they're like four metres away, you know, you have so much room. Um, So I was sitting there and uh, I was trying to estimate who else got a bump-up ticket and who actually paid for it. So I was doing a quick scan, Casio watch, she got bumped up. (laughs) So I said to her, how are you getting on? I said, go, go, Jack, go, Jack. I said, have you ever flown before? She said, ah, yeah, often enough, but uh, I'm kind of a nervous flyer. I said, don't worry, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. This is is just a standard flight, you'll be grand. But then I noticed after about 45 minutes, we started to lose altitude. We were coming down. I said, this is a five-hour flight. Why are we losing altitude? Then the captain, captain's voice came on over the intercom. I noticed the captain speaking. Uh, we've noticed unusually high temperature readings in our landing gear bay. So we have to land uh, in, in Iceland, in Reykjavik. And I said... Oh, right. And then she said, is that bad? I said, well, our tyres could be on fire, but apart from that, we'll be okay. Um, so we just have to... So, so she, said, she said, we could, they could be on fire. I said, well, yeah, if they do, like, it means that when we, when we land, we'll have tyres on one side, no tyres on the other, so we'll skid and, you know, roll and that sort of thing. But just keep your seatbelt on. We're in first class. I'm sure it'll be fine. And she said, oh, my goodness. I said, are you Catholic? She said, yeah. I said, have you been to confession recently? No, do you want to go? Yeah. <laughs> Wearing the collar in public is really helpful. It really is. You get first-class tickets. Right? You get to minister the sacraments to people all over the place. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. When, once you become, uh, once you're ordained, you get kind of suddenly catapulted into a position of, well, a, a public position. A, pu- a position where you're seen. A position where at times you won't want to be seen. Uh, like if you're on boards of management for this, that, and the other, and it just can be an awful headache. But you, 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 you're a public figure. As a priest, you very quickly become a public figure. From deacon to priest, suddenly as a priest, you're, you're, you're busy, and you're busy doing a lot of things, and people see you. 
Yes, they see you in the liturgy, but they see you also the way you drive, unfortunately. Um, I have, I've been known to whip out the collar for occasional dodgy maneuvers and then put the collar back in. Um, but, uh, but they do see you. We're, we're like, as priests, we're seen. And in any walk of life, people need heroes. You know, when it comes to sports, plain obvious. The, the, the superstars of sport, motorsport, golf, whatever it is, people need heroes. Whatever area you're working in, even if you're working in science, there, there, are, there are heroes in, in that field that inspire you. And in our church, we, we have heroes. We have the saints. Men and women, priests and lay, that we can look up to and aspire to emulate and learn from their wisdom and learn to practice the similar virtue to, 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 to them. But in, in a power situation, people will also look up to us. People will look up to us. And the liturgy, this bit, it's good to prepare for it, and it's good to celebrate it well, but this is the easy bit. This is the easy bit. Would people convert if they saw your private life? Would people be inspired by your prayer life, by your life off the sanctuary? Would people know the Lord better from watching how you live, the, the choices you make, the way you behave? Would people know the Lord better from the way you live off the sanctuary, out of the, out of the church? In our gospel today, we hear about the, the, the places of honour that the Lord sees how, how the scribes and Pharisees, they like their, their, their places of honour. They like to be, to be given a certain amount of glory or recognition or honour. The Lord says, When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take your seat at the place of honour. A more distinguished person than you may have been invited, and the person who invited you both may come and say, Give up your place to this man. And then, to your embarrassment, you'd have to go and take the lowest place. When you are a guest, make your way to the lowest place and sit there, so that when your host comes, he may say, my friend, move up higher. In our hearts, we know, we know what we are. We know that we're jars of clay. We know that we're not perfect. And at the same time, we've been given uh, an incredible vocation, incredible calling. And keep in mind always, the calling is just that. It's the Lord's initiative. He calls. So he chose you. He chose you as you are. He, but he chose you. It wasn't like I, I was sitting down and I thought, well, I could become a priest, nice, you know, I wouldn't have to, there are good pension plans and, you know, your house is kind of provided and it's, you know, you have to work, work one day a week on a Sunday, the, every day, the day when everyone else is off. And it seems like a fairly straightforward kind of living. I might try that. That's not a vocation. That's a cop-out. But when you heard the, the, the voice of the Lord call you and say to you, Follow me. Leave your nets. Leave your BMW 5 Series. Leave your life behind you. And leave a lot of the dreams that you had hoped to realize. Because there are certain things as well. I mean, most of us want to get married at some point and have kids. Sure, why not? It's a good thing. But leave some of those. Because every, every yes is, is a no to multiple other things. If you, anything, anytime you make any choice at all, you choose something, it's a no to the other options. So when we've chosen the Lord, it, it is a no to other things. 
remember uh, uh, a very good professor of mine in, in, in the Greg, he said, uh, priestly celibacy isn't a no to our sexuality. It's an exclusive yes to God. It's an exclusive yes to God. That's the way to look at it. To look at it so positively. Like, Lord, Lord, I, I, Lord, I live for you. I give my life to you. I didn't become a priest because I want to be a public figure. I probably, I'm probably an introvert by nature. So I don't like this, the whole big stage thing. That's not why I became a priest. It's not why any of you should become a priest. We become priests to serve. Serve the Lord primarily. And to serve his people. So we do so aware of, of, of our need for him. And that's, that's a good thing. It, it, I think the Lord will, will sometimes allow this, uh, this thorn in our side you know, to remain, whatever that weakness is, to remain for, for, for a time anyway, so that we are constantly reminded of our need for him. I'm the vine and you are the branches, says the Lord. Cut off from me. You can do nothing. Nothing. Not you can do, you know, a fair amount, you'll be kind of all right. Cut off from the Lord, you can do nothing. And so these, these reminders of our, of our need for him are what cause us to keep coming back, keep coming back. Lord, I need you. I need you. And that's what makes us good priests. Our reliance on the Lord, our, our, our constant returning to the, to the well to be filled up so that we can go give it to others and go back to the well and get filled up and go give it to others. We have to keep going back to that well. So the Lord wants us to, to love our priesthood, to be proud to be priests, and to serve his people as priests. In practice, it doesn't really work for us, by the way, to go to a wedding and choose the last place, because we'll always end up sitting beside usually the mother-in-law. They put us beside, or the granny. Or they'll find some member of the family that goes to mass, put the priest beside them, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> we have to say grace and all at the top table and that sort of thing. Uh, but we don't, we don't become priests for notoriety. We become priests to serve. So we ask the Lord today, to the grace and power of this Eucharist, to remind us of who we are and of who he is, the way, the truth, and the life. Amen.